Welcome to Masterminds and Maintenance, a podcast with those with new ideas and maintenance. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each week, I'll be meeting with a guest who's had an idea for how to shape things up in the maintenance and reliability industry. Sometimes their idea failed, sometimes it made their business more successful, and other times their idea revolutionized an entire industry. Today, I'm super excited. We've got George Parada here on the show with me and with us. Um, George, you began working at a food manufacturing company straight out of college. Since then, you've accumulated tens of years of experience as a professional manager in the food and beverage production, strong focus in maintenance and reliability. As he moved into leadership positions, he's dedicated a huge portion of his job teaching others and producing high-performing teams. George believes in producing and building high-performing teams to get high-performing results. And now, George, I, I know this, but you currently work at Facebook as the Global Facility Operations Lead. Welcome, George. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Super excited to be here and talk to you for a minute. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we've known each other for the past two, three years. It's been ex so exciting watching you on your journey. I know a bunch about your background, but you know, our audience and listeners may not. So maybe we could start things off and you could share a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got to become the uh, global operations lead at Facebook. Absolutely. So I, my background is mechanical engineering. Uh, went, went to school. I really wanted to figure out how things worked. I'm like, hey, you know what? What better way to do it than being a mechanical engineer and know all the nooks and crannies of different types of things. And so I envisioned myself sitting behind a desk working on AutoCAD and just doing a whole bunch of designs for some company in the future. Uh, little did I know that I was was going to graduate with that degree and go straight into a, a, a food and beverage company, a pr pretty large one, actually. And, you know, I, I basically went to and started on second shift. I was like, man, what did I get myself into? You know, I, uh, you know, I was running a, a, a small operation on, on the back shift, you know, it was like a 4 p.m. to 4 a.m., you know, and, and it was like, man, this is, this is tough. And then obviously, you know, three months into it, like, hey, George, we have another opportunity for you. So I got to go into operations and then run a, a department on a processing line and did a couple of those production roles where I quickly found out that, man, like our maintenance team has a lot of opportunity to make sure that my equipment is always running. And so, you know, I sat down with my manager and said, hey, George, you know, like, well, why don't, why don't we uh, give you the opportunity? I'm like, all right, you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I didn't know anything about reliability. I didn't know anything about like preventative or predictive maintenance, but I knew that I needed to improve maintenance in my, uh, in my department. So, you know, got the opportunity to be, to be a maintenance supervisor, eventually a maintenance manager. Um, this was all within the same organization. And then eventually I got the opportunity to, uh, to go into a director of maintenance reliability for this organization. And, you know, like what I would say like was a, an awesome learning experience was really bridging and connecting people together. You know, just seeing the opportunities that people were doing some very great things. They were doing a lot of best practices, but the visibility to that across the organization was, was pretty low. Um, you know, got the opportunity to, to help bridge those connections. You know, we developed some very awesome programs to help scale up some, some maintenance people that were really interested in kind of developing their careers. And so we did like an apprenticeship program. Uh, eventually, I, uh, you know, left that organization and went and joined an alcohol uh, company, which uh, that was a really cool experience and kind of got to set up the same thing. You know, they were really needed to have a, some, some focus areas around reliability and asset management. And, uh, you know, we were able to help set, set up some foundation and, and actually that's where we introduced uh, the, the upkeep product and getting our, our entire organization under, uh, under one CMMS versus using 
spreadsheets and whiteboards and you know what what have you. You know that was that was awesome. You know, got to work with with Ryan's team. You know, eventually, you know, moved on and you know now working for this uh, social media company and you know just working on getting some foundational items set up here and, and and having a lot of fun doing it. That sounds awesome. What a what an amazing story. Um, starting your career as a mechanical engineer and then just somehow getting into this space of maintenance and reliability must have been a must have been a fun crazy journey for you uh, especially working at this uh, small social media company now right (laughs) for sure and you know I would say like if anything like earlier in my career and and even today is just it's all about the people that, you know, I was able to learn a lot of great, awesome experiences from and a lot of great um, exposure, just what those opportunities are and just, you know, helping people, uh, helping people solve problems. That's, that's yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, as you look back at the previous like three, four companies that you've worked for, are there any like common themes that you see uh, with regards to low-hanging fruit best practices for maintenance and reliability that you think every single facility, regardless of where, what kind of facility you are, could utilize? Yeah, I would say, you know, it all starts with a foundation of understanding what you have. You know, when I say that, I'm talking about like validating your assets and really understanding, you know, like to what level are we going to identify whether this is an asset or not. Um, making sure that that's all properly set up in your CMMS. And, and then from there, okay, now that I understand like what my inventory of assets are, like what are the most critical, you know, because mm-hmm. I want to make sure that when I eventually start to look at preventative maintenance, spare parts, you know, I, I need to focus on the ones that are going to impact my operation, you know, not only from like a production standpoint, but, you know, which ones are going to have the biggest safety impacts, quality impacts, if that applies to you, uh, environmental, customer impacts, uh, because from there, we can really understand, like, you know, what's that overall, like, criticality ranking, and then start to, like, think about, like, preventative maintenance, and not just do maintenance for the sake of doing maintenance. You know, there's going to be times where it's okay to run things to failure, and there's going to be some times when it's not okay. So that's yeah. that's one of the things I always start with, is um, when I when I join any organization, is I'm, I'm looking at what that uh, overall validation of the assets are, and then what, what, what are the most critical ones Right. So it sounds like just very foundational, like what do you define as an asset and making sure that you have a prioritized list of criticality. How do you determine what's an asset, what's not an asset, what you should manage, what you're okay with going unmanaged? Is it a dollar threshold? Is it a criticality to the business? Is it risk? Yeah, you know, every every organization, I would say, does it uh, somewhat, you know, somewhat different, um, and and that's and that's okay. Um, I think the, comp- the the company or the organization needs to define like what that is. And sometimes, you know, it might be like, hey, it's a, the asset is a fifty thousand dollar threshold, or you know, we have to track this financially, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna do maintenance against it. Um, so I think as long as the organization can come up with what those definitions are. You, you have to just kind of stick to it, you know, set up a governance process. So then when these assets are coming online or even decommissioned, that you're, uh, you're handling the, you know, the accounting side of it, but then also the reliability side of it as well. I, I think that's a very interesting point because I, I feel like a lot of companies, they, they have an asset list, but they're not sure like whether they should manage it, whether it should, it should go unmanaged. So having that like base threshold of like, this is what we consider an asset and this is what it means to be an asset. You know, you're going to run preventive maintenance schedules on it. 
you're going to run inspections on it. It's going to have this impact to the business. That's actually really important. And I, 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 what I'm hearing from you often goes missed. Yeah. And, and I would just add, Ryan is, you know, for me, I, you know, like I'm, I'm biased to just standards and there is an ISO standard that does exist out there. And it's mainly used like in the oil and gas uh, industry, but ISO 14224 is what I typically try to steer organizations in as using that as like what they call the level six is, is what I would constitute as an asset. And then just setting up your, your processes and your organization around that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So George, I know you've implemented, you've developed a ton of different programs. Talk to me, talk to us about Rome. Reliability, operations, maintenance, and engineering. What, what is that? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was one of the most proudest things I would say that I've done in, in my career. And um, so it was when I was working for, uh, for, for this large uh, food and beverage company. And, you know, one of the things that we were thinking about was, you know, we have a lot of these engineers that, you know, we're basically... I'm going to just call it how it is. We were throwing them into just managing and supervising their own department. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, even though they had like the school background, you know, they probably didn't have the, the knowledge of expertise of the equipment that we manage, or the equipment that we operated, the equipment that we were going to engineer. So I, with a, with a, with a, with a, with a group of folks, we basically put together this, um, this boot camp. And, you know, I'm always trying to come up with like fancy acronyms just because I think it, it can really have like the, the bang, right, with, with folks. And so I'm like, okay, so I want to make sure that I cover aspects from reliability, maintenance, engineering, and operations. And I'm like, Omri, <laughs> I'm like, oh, what about Rome? And, 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 it, and it was a hit, Ryan, because, you know, we were like hashtagging it like when we were out there. And, you know, it, it was a very like much like intense, like, five days like you know we were doing it at this um at this facility where we basically had like life-size equipment we had conveyors we had pumps we had packaging equipment and we basically walked them through hey these are the challenges that you're going to face from a reliability standpoint these are the challenges that you're going to have from an operations these are the things that you need to consider from a design standpoint like these are the best practices within that within that organization that we needed to set up and we give like a pretty fat book uh at the, you know that they would utilize throughout the uh throughout the uh, boot camp, And then at the end is like, Hey, I want to, I want you to just go back and just apply this to like one or two departments, you know, yeah. or one or two areas where you have some opportunities in. And there was, you know, there was like, I would say like immediate payback because there was just a lot of ideas that probably just went through people's head because now they kind of brought all those concepts together and they received this education. And so, and what was even perfect is that um, it wasn't just me sitting up there talking to them, you know, like I identified, Hey, these are like subject matter experts that are, that were doing like vibration analysis that are like electrical guys. Um, you know, all the different skills that we utilize within, with, within the team. And, and it was these guys, you know, so not only was it a chance for them to teach, it was also a chance to, for us to recognize like, Hey, these are some like the very um, impactful people like within our organization that, are teaching like our future engineers, are teaching our future managers, our future leaders around how we could become more reliable organization. So that was, that was pretty awesome. You know, we, we and, I, and I would say it still continues from uh, my conversations with my former colleagues. So I was pretty proud of that. That's awesome. Knowing that something still exists even after you're gone from an organization is so, so meaningful. Where did uh, all the material from, from this uh, handbook Rome come from? Was it, 
Was it developed internally? Did you use third-party resources? Where can our listeners either get a copy of Rome or create their own Rome? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was really developed uh, very much internally. I mean, there, there was some things that we did partner with some of our, our vendors that we use. Like, for example, you know, we used a lot of like um, Rexnord gearboxes. And so like, you know, they helped us put some of the content together. Um, but a lot of the other stuff was just, you know, the best practices that we identify as an organization. So I would say that probably is still proprietary. Even I don't have a copy to that anymore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, I would say like, you know, it, it probably took a long time before we even kicked off the first one because of so much prep work that went into developing the materials. And, you know, we had several meetings with each one of the uh, people within the team. And, and some of it was also very specific to like our uh, production that, that we made, like, you know, the, the, the operation side of it. So some of it, you know, like it would, it would really have to be tailored to the business. So whether you're, you know, you're operating a, uh, you know, a hamburger plant or you're operating, you know, like a prison or whatever it is, you would probably need to like really tailor it to whatever is going to best fit. Um, and, you know, just at the same time, using some foundational principles around reliability and operations, maintenance and engineering. So absolutely. So a common thing that we hear very often is, Finding the time, we all know the importance of documentation, training for the team, but something we hear very, very often is finding the time in the day to do this is always so difficult. George, how did you find the time in the day to build something like this that we all know is so incredibly important? Yeah, it, it was not easy. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, I, along with the other, uh, members that were doing the facilitating and the training, you know, we all had our day jobs, you know, but um, I would say the biggest reason and the biggest way how we found time is that it was all the way to our VP of operations that she wanted to make this a priority. Mm -hmm. And so because, you know, we had her support, you know, we had, you know, other operations uh, managers and leaders uh, helping us free up time to, to make this a priority. And, you know, we even set a goal and said that we wanted at least, you know, an X percent of amount of our new supervisors and even some of the ones that have been around for a little while to go through this. Yeah. Um, so really getting like that stakeholder uh, support is always critical, like in any initiative, especially around reliability and asset management to, to make sure that people are, are being freed up to, to focus on it. Yeah. And was there like a critical moment where your VP said like, hey, we have to make this a priority. How did you get that executive level buy-in? Yeah, no, I mean, we, you know, like we were actually utilizing data and, and understanding, you know, like, hey, like, you know, we're, we were seeing, you know, like common failures. We were seeing common operational issues. Uh, you know, we were, all, we were also having a lot of uh, people that had been around, you know, for a while that were retiring, you know, and, and actually, um, I, I did a talk uh, at a conference a, a couple of years back uh, that was a, from a study from Deloitte. And actually, that's where I actually presented this whole concept around Rome too. Um, but the study talked about, you know, by the time that we hit the year 2025, there's going to be, I forgot how much it was. I think it was maybe like around like 2 million jobs that were going to go unfilled in manufacturing. And a lot of that was not only because of the, uh, you know, the baby boomer, um, deal, but then also, you know, organizations were not setting themselves up for success to uh, train and, and skill um, their their engineers, their their new people coming into the organization. So, 
it was it was another lens just to look look at and say like look like we really need to make sure that we're finding other ways to skill our people up make sure that they're ready so when we do hand them the keys to that department that they can effectively manage it and that they have the tools necessary to manage it. George, I, I was also listening on another podcast of yours that you came up with this idea around reliability governance teams. Um, oh, yeah. Where did, where did they, you're like, oh yeah, I remember that one. Where'd that come, where did that come from? How did, how did governance change the perception of the reliability team? Yeah, you know, like, so I'm a very visual person and I really like these Parthenons that you see out there. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and so I promise the governance has nothing to do with politics or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's really like that overarching. So we, if we were to say, hey, these are like our five pillars, you know, call it whatever you want, reliability, engineering, autonomous maintenance, you know, work management, whatever. But you need to have some type of overarching process. And I would say even change management around how those things are being managed. And anytime that you're going to make any committee, you know, whether you want to call it a steering a governance team or whatever that is reviewing and then basically pushing that out to the masses, you know, because in, in most times these processes are being implemented to, to, to many different sites within an organization. And, and I know as much as sometimes people don't like the word standardization, I mean, we have a business to run and we have to make sure that we have some consistency, not only from a metric standpoint, but then also like how we do processes. So if I need to move from one location to, you know, in, in California to Minnesota that I can effectively you know, not have to like restart from scratch. Mm -hmm. So this whole concept around governance was really around like, how do we assess like how we currently manage our operations? Um, how do we measure and then utilize the same type of metrics and KPIs? And then what are the tools, how we're going to align to the process that we've really established? Um, so it's really more like a, a change management uh, type of uh, viewpoint and, and really driving that consistency um, so that's why one of the things I always try to promote is just this whole concept of governance. You can call it whatever you want, um, but that's that's what I call it. And where did these standards come from? What, what, were they developed by you? Were, were they developed by the team? Were they developed by the, the tens, the decades of years of experience that just kind of got handed down? How did those standards um, get created? You know, a lot of times it's already, it might be programs and processes that already exist, you know, yeah. within the organization. It's just kind of bringing it under like that umbrella and just saying like, hey, this is now like the, you know, like the upkeep governance standard, you know, or this is the way how we are going to manage things, you know, at, at this organization. And if somebody has an idea, you know, we, we should have a feedback process, how we can take that feedback and review within that team. And then if we need to have like a, a training event to communicate what those updates are, then, then we're going to do that. But I would say a lot of times, you know, these, it's, it's really kind of bringing some of the existing work together, you know, cause I mean, trust me, like whether you're a brand new company, like the one that I'm a part of, or a company that's been around, like the one that was a part of that was 150 plus years old, there's been a lot of great work that's gotten us to where we're at. It's just really bringing those things together and, um, and then just doing some continuous improvement on it really. I, I mean, I love this so much, George, because what I'm hearing from you is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure all this out. It, you know, a lot of the heavy lifting has already been done, it sounds like. And, and the part that many people skip is the documentation and knowledge transfer portion of it, which is arguably the most important piece versus just figuring it out for the first time, right? 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and there are going to be times where you're going to have to develop some of these things from scratch because it's something that maybe the, the, the company or the organization hasn't really even scratched the surface on it. And so that's where, you know, like where we come in, where, you know, maybe we've been a part of some really mature organizations or, you know, we, we go to these conferences and we learn some new things on, on how to operate and, and, and run the business better. Um, and sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll even contract out and say like, hey, we need to bring in companies like, you know, XYZ to help us kind of build out our asset management program. So, so George, you've been part of many, many different maintenance reliability teams. I'm curious, what has made, how would you define success, a, a successful maintenance reliability team? What is what does that look like to you? And what have the most successful maintenance and reliability teams at previous companies that you've worked with done so well? Yeah, I would say like there's always room for growth. There's always opportunities to, uh, to continue to focus on. But some of the things that I've, you know, I would say like hang my hat on is like when, when expectations are, are clearly understood throughout the organization and not just like at one site, but just really across. And then, you know, how are we, how are we publishing like those metrics, those dashboards, if you will, to, to, to make sure that we can identify these are the things, these are the reasons why we're working on these specific uh, challenges. Um, I would say leadership is a, is a big piece of it too, Ryan. And, and even in one of the, uh, one of those like pillar models that I kind of put together before is um, this whole concept of reliability leadership, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I really kind of got that actually from, from, from a safety program that I was uh, that I was a part of at one of my former organizations, and safety has been something that's always been uh, paramount, like in uh, in my career. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, a safe plan is a reliable plan. So why can't we also utilize that same safety leadership and reliability? Um, and, and so just making sure that people, you know, we, we're all here. We're all very smart people. We're all very talented. Um, how could we continue to just drive that leadership? You know, all the way from like that CEO level all the way down to the, uh, that, that technician level. And, you know, Terry O'Hanlon, you know, if I, if I can quote him, you know, always talks about like reliability, you know, is for everyone with nobody left behind. And, and I completely and sincerely believe in that. And I think the companies where it's not just like the technicians, the ones that are just trying to like get that machine back online, but it's also like understood why, you know, we need to sometimes maybe defer production or we need to not, do this PM right now, that needs to be supported all the way to the top. Yeah. And if that, if that is not, um, I, I can certainly see where, you know, maintenance is always the first one to get the, uh, the budget cuts, if you will. And, and sometimes that's, that's the, the worst decision to make, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that I always talk about too, is that there is no other department, there's no other element within an organization that impacts as much as reliability. You know, if you think about like safety, quality, cost, um, you know, all, all that all that stuff, reliability is the one that touches all of those. And the moment that you take away from it, you're taken away from all those other aspects. So organizations that really focus on reliability are the ones that are most successful in my, in my viewpoint. Uh, one thing you wish more people knew about with regards to maintenance and reliability. What's one common thing that you think people often overlook with regards to maintenance and reliability? Yeah, I would say, you know, there, there's this aspect of like reliability engineering that, you know, sometimes, 
you know, like the predictive maintenance, you know, like, hey, that, that stuff sounds like super sexy. And um, if we add all these sensors, you know, it's going to make our lives a lot better. Um, but we have to first understand, like, you know, where, where do we have the opportunity to, like, do, like, preventative maintenance optimization? You know, like, where, where do we start to, like, look at, like, how do we eliminate the defects? How do we start to, like, look at more, like, reliability-centered design? And looking at like, what are like the failure modes telling us from like our work order history? The more that we can start to spend time on the data of what we currently do, then that's where we should make the decisions on how we start to incorporate, you know, like the cool stuff that you see like with industry 4.0, like, you know, IOT and um, all of these sensors. And I'm not trying to downplay that one bit, um, but I think there's an opportunity to really make sure that you understand like, where do you where are you at in your reliability engineering uh, program? And if you haven't if you don't have one, you know how do you even dedicate one person's time to just start focusing on that? And really eliminating like what I call like those bad actors, you know, and you know not, not the ones that we saw on the Oscar show yesterday, but more of the uh, you know the equipment that's really kicking our butt, you know, the one that's eating our lunch. So um, I think that that's a that's a big opportunity. And then the, the only other thing that I would say, Ryan, is what I mentioned earlier, just around like understanding like your, your foundational assets and, you know, ensuring that you understand which ones are the most critical. So then we can focus on all those other sexy things. We completely agree. I think people get tied to these shiny objects saying like, hey, these are the cool new things that are coming out. But when we look at ourselves and the maturity of the company and the maturity of our, of our, um, processes we realize like we've got to crawl before we walk we got to crawl before we walk we got to walk before we run <laughs> yeah and i would say like you know it's really a it's a it's a marathon it's not a it's not a sprint so you know some of these things you know they they take time to uh to really establish and, and and put in place and so you know when you start putting this in front of like your ceos and like your 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 leaders you know, you might not see that payback, like within six months, you know, these things, you know, like sometimes take time to set in place, uh, but the, the fruits of the labor will certainly pay off. Favorite book to read from, read and, and learn from, whether it's related to maintenance reliability or whether it's totally off. Yeah, I would say one of the ones that I've been really promoting recently and I actually used it like in a reliability uh, kickoff was Making Common Sense, Common Practice. Uh, mm -hmm. Very good reference book. Uh, around just all aspects of continuous improvement to reliability. Uh, but one of the ones that I really like is uh, uh, Good to Great. You know, it just really talks about a lot of uh, opportunities that you have like within your teams and how you can apply like these principles around just making your organization and the teams that you work with uh, more effective. I, I always prefer those books versus like, you know, like romance novels and nonfiction. <laughs> Because I, I would say I, I learn a lot from it, you know, and I, I've done one of those uh, personality things, you know, with the strengths finder and all of that. And for me, I'm, I'm a big learner. Um, and just like when I was a brand new supervisor, I needed to learn about maintenance. I, I always, you know, continue to just focusing on myself and, and learning more about, um, you know, reliability and in different industries, you know, and, you know, even learning a lot now that I've, you know, I was in food and beverage for like 15 years and now I'm in a completely new industry and still feel, still feel I have a lot to learn here as well. All right. There we go, George. Well, it's been awesome chatting with you. Um, can you share with all of our listeners the ways that they could connect with you and watch you follow you along your journey? 
For sure, yeah. I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, uh, George Parada. Facebook, if you want to go go down that route, I'm pretty active on social media on Instagram. So yeah, no, definitely uh, feel free to reach out if there's any follow up questions. You want me to dig a little bit deeper into some of these things I said? Uh, be happy to uh, happy to uh, chat some more. All right. Thank you so much, George. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's Masterminds and Maintenance. My name is Ryan Chan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can also connect with me. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can also email me directly at ryan at onupkeep.com. Until next time.